It was a tumultuous day in Birdland, and it felt like the ending, ninth inning of Tuesday's game, was par for the course for what has transpired. I'll recap it all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, August 9th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap an absolute heartbreaker on Tuesday night for the Orioles. Three-run lead in the ninth inning, best reliever in baseball on the hill And Felix Bautista gives up a grand slam to Kyle Tucker, and the Orioles lose to the Astros 7-6. So I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one. Then we talk about a roster move the Orioles made earlier this week, claiming the right-handed reliever Jacob Webb off of waivers from the Los Angeles Angels. Give you the scouting report on Webb and how he could help the Orioles' bullpen moving forward. And finally, some updates on the Kevin Brown situation as we move forward here with just giant stain on top of this incredible season so far for the Orioles. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB or enter promo code locked on MLB for a free white tech hat with any Bird Dog shorts or pants order. You won't want to take off your Bird Dogs. We promise you that. So we start today with, wow, a tough Orioles loss. I think you can hear it in my voice. I am still reeling here. I'm recording, starting recording at about 10.15 p.m. Eastern time here on Tuesday night. About a half hour or so since the game ended, I am still reeling. Now, I'm not going to say this is the worst loss of the season because, quite frankly, it's going to be really tough to beat game number two of the year when Ryan McKenna dropped the fly ball in Fenway. It's really tough to beat that. But this one... With all the circumstances surrounding the game, came pretty close. Final score, Astros 7, Orioles 6 in Game 1 of a three-game set at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The Orioles with the loss, hey, they're still in first place. They dropped to just 70-43 and on the season, but the Tampa Bay Rays did come up with a win in Game 1 of their series over the St. Louis Cardinals by a score of 4-2 on Tuesday night. So the Orioles' lead in the AL East is down now to just two games. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 7-6 loss to the Astros. And the first thing you need to know is Felix Bautista truly had his first kind of blow-up outing of the season on Tuesday night. And Felix, a guy who really hasn't been used much lately, pitched in only three of the Orioles' last ten games. Now, when he has pitched... He's looked pretty solid and fared well and gotten some key outs for the Orioles and gotten some big saves. It's not like, you know, this has been building to this, like he's been looking bad lately. And I actually think, you know, the rust hasn't really been a huge issue for him in the past. I would rather him get the rest with the amount that he has pitched this year. I was happy he, you know, only had to pitch three times in, you know, what ended up being 10 days. That was probably good for him and good for the Orioles moving forward. But he certainly did not look like himself on Tuesday night. He allowed a run for the first time since June 24th, and it was the first time all season 
that Bautista had allowed more than one earned run in a single outing. The only other time he had allowed multiple runs was the game I just mentioned. His first outing, or excuse me, the only time he had allowed multiple runs was actually in his first two outings of the year. The opening day win over the Red Sox when he allowed two runs, one earned in the ninth inning, but held on to a one-run victory. And then two days later, after McKenna dropped the fly ball, Adam Duvall hits the two-run walk-off homer, two runs, one earned in that one as well. Since then, it had been zero or one runs every single time he'd gone out there until Tuesday night. And frankly, he just didn't have it. I mean, you could tell from the beginning, it's John Singleton pinch hitting for Martin Maldonado to open the inning. Orioles have a 6-3 to three lead. You know, should be an easy chance for Bautista, who did pitch Sunday, but he got the day off Monday because the O's had the day off. And he just, he, he wasn't there. He was not there in that outing. He walks John Singleton, who was called up on Tuesday and is hitting 103 in the majors this year. Then Altuve singles. And then he looked like he had the stuff back, right? He struck out Bregman with a 100-mile-per-hour fastball. Gets ahead of Jordan Alvarez. And listen, Alvarez smoked a ball out to center field. It was a very tough play, okay? It was 102 off the bat. It hit off the wall. I mean, three feet higher. It's a three-run homer that ties the game. But Jorge Mateo out there, who, to his credit, made an amazing catch earlier in the game that may have robbed a homer in center. He was fast enough to get to the ball, and he tracked it okay once he got himself turned around. But those first couple steps told you all you need to know. He's still not an outfielder, despite the fact that the O's think he can play out there. And I think he can. He had a lot of chances in that game and, and caught all of them until the ninth inning. But those first couple of steps were terrible. It was a bad route for Mateo. Ends up not being able to catch the ball. Now, luckily, the runners thought he was going to catch it. So it ended up being just a bases-loaded situation instead of a two-run double. And in steps Kyle Tucker. And I know there was a lot of back and forth. You know, what was Felix throwing? Blah, blah, blah. He threw a really good 0-1 splitter that Tucker swung through at 0-2. Kind of started at the knees, dipped below the knees. That was the only good splitter Bautista threw in this entire outing. He ended up, I mean, throwing 30 pitches in this one and only six splitters and only one of them was a good one the reason why he only threw six splitters he didn't have the command for it he you know ended up walking singleton on a splitter that was in the dirt just didn't have the pitch that's why 22 of his 30 pitches were fastballs and the velo was good I mean he was averaging 100.5 miles per hour he touched 102 multiple times he was kind of changing the eye level a bit with Tucker it was a really good battle yes you know there was that foul tip that McCann almost caught you can't I mean, if you've never been a catcher or you don't know much about catching, catching those foul tips on 102 mile per hour fastballs is not really a skill. It's more of luck, to be honest with you. For some guys, maybe there's a little skill involved, but it's mostly just luck of how the ball comes off the bat. I saw a lot of people ragging McCann for that. That is not his fault at all. That is more of a luck play that he almost held on to. But Bautista just had to keep going with the fastball. It was good. It was just bad location. And I've talked about this before with Bautista's fastball. When he throws it low in the zone, it loses a lot of its steam because of Bautista's kind of over-the-top arm angle. Because of all the spin and the spin efficiency he gets, the ball almost seems like it rises out of his hand because he throws it so hard and so high. When he throws it low in the zone, it comes on a downward plane to the hitter. You lose some of that quote-unquote rise. You you lose some of that spin efficiency when he throws it low. And even if it's at 101 miles per hour, the pitch is much easier to hit when it's down in the zone. It was right in the wheelhouse of Tucker. He just snuck it out for a go-ahead grand slam. 
And that was basically that for Felix. Again, his first blow-up outing of the year. Yes, it was his sixth blown save, but every other one has been razor-thin margins until this one. Just a tough night, a tough break. I don't think it says Felix is ready to crumble. I don't think it says the Orioles are ready to crumble, but with everything going on around the team on this night, on this day, and to have it end like that, yeah, that was tough to swallow. Second thing you need to know from this one is before everything went where it went, the Orioles did it again to Framber Valdez. They got to one of the best pitchers in the American League once again. And they did it last year. Remember at that crazy game at Oriole Park last September? The Orioles got seven runs on 11 hits off of Valdez in five and a third innings, including two homers, one from Mullins and one from Santander. And they got to Framber Valdez again in this one. He goes seven innings, but he allowed six runs on eight hits, including two home runs in this game. One hit by Adley Rutschman that he crushed over the big wall in left field in the second inning. And the other one hit by Ryan Mountcastle. And that's the second thing you need to know from this one. Ryan Mountcastle, in the first inning, after Adley Rutschman drew a leadoff walk, got a hanging 0-2 curveball from Framber Valdez and demolished a ball, not into the Orioles' bullpen, not into the above-away bullpen, but over both bullpens and into kind of the statue area out there in center field. I don't remember ever seeing a hitter hit the ball out there, and it was the longest home run hit by an Orioles hitter in the history of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. 113 miles per hour off the bat, 472 feet for Ryan Mountcastle, who now has a 10-game hitting streak, has been on base all 18 games since returning from the injured list. He's red hot. That was a monster bomb, and it was fun to watch it again and again. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that Grayson Rodriguez was pretty good again. You know, continuing to just stack these good starts since returning from AAA. Rodriguez goes six strong innings against the Astros in this one, allowing just two runs on six hits. He strikes out four, walks two, and once again does not allow a home run on 93 pitches. It was seven hard-hit balls against him in his six innings of work, but I like what he was able to do in this game for the Orioles. Grayson Rodriguez had 11 whiffs. He mixed his pitch as well. He threw a lot of sliders. This was the heaviest slider start we've seen from Rodriguez. 44 fastballs was his most used pitch. Then it was 32 sliders, then 10 change-ups, six curveballs, and one cutter. But that slider was really good. Seven whiffs on 17 swings. He got a lot of right-handed hitters to swing and miss. Got a lot of strikeouts on that pitch. Was also throwing it in the strike zone, getting called strikes on it as well. That was the best slider we've seen so far from Rodriguez in his big league career, and that should spell good things moving forward. And then the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' 7-6 loss to the Astros on Tuesday night is that Ramon Arias left this game with left heel discomfort, came out of the game in the seventh inning after grounding into a double play, or excuse me, in the sixth inning after grounding into a double play to end that inning. He comes out of there. Arias, you know, was having a, a pretty solid game after getting the start at third base. Had a triple earlier in the game and came around to score a run. But I will say, you know, if Arias does have to miss any time with this injury, and we will obviously monitor it, he's had some lower body injuries in the past. One lucky thing for the O's is they do have a pretty quick, easy replacement in Joey Ortiz, who's crushing it in AAA, great infielder, and is already on the 40-man roster. So if they do lose Arias... Ortiz would be a quick fix. And even if they didn't want to go Ortiz, Taron Vavra's right there is a pretty quick fix as well. But I would guess we see Joey Ortiz if Arias 
does have to miss some time. But man, did that one hurt. With everything going on on Tuesday, man, did that one hurt as the Orioles dropped the first game of the series 7-6 to six to the Astros. But the O's could get some bullpen reinforcements coming up here soon as they made a waiver claim earlier this week, picking up Jacob Webb, the right-hander off waivers from the Angels. So coming up next, talk a little bit about Webb, his scouting report, and what he could bring to the Orioles' bullpen for the remainder of of this season. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs are the most comfortable shorts that you will ever own, that you will ever wear. I'm literally wearing the Bird Dog shorts right now as I record this episode. And the Bird Dogs, they make you look good. They're these stretch khaki shorts that are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and the leg, giving you a little bit of a sculpted look. And they do the same thing as the Lululemon shorts, but they fit way Better. These are the best pairs of shorts I have ever, ever owned. And they fixed the issue of those stiff, restricting cotton shorts by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks like khaki, but stretches. So you get a slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement, and they're great in the summer. They use anti-stink, sweat-wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. So go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnMLB or enter promo code LockedOnMLB for a free white tech hat with your order. That's birddogs.com slash LockedOnMLB or promo code LockedOnMLB for a free white tech hat. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you that. So the Orioles fall in an absolute heartbreaker to the Houston Astros with Felix Bautista having his worst outing of the year, allowing a grand slam to Kyle Tucker in the ninth inning as the O's fall 7-6. to six. But on the flip side, maybe some bullpen reinforcements, not necessarily to replace Felix. He is still the best reliever in baseball. But to help out this middle part of the Orioles' bullpen as they made a waiver claim on Monday, picking up the right-handed pitcher Jacob Webb off waivers from the Los Angeles Angels. Now, let's start with who is Jacob Webb. Claimed from the Angels after they DFA'd him last week. Now, he is out of options. He has no more minor league options. That's why the Angels ended up DFAing him. So, when he does join the Orioles, Brandon Hyde said before Tuesday's game that in the next couple of days, Webb will join the team. If the O's want to get rid of him at any point, they would have to DFA him as well. So, that's when you know like they really think he could help the big league bullpen, if they're claiming a guy right now who is out of options. Now, he's 29 years old, but actually next Tuesday will be his 30th birthday, so almost 30. A former 18th round pick of the Braves back in 2014, who made his major league debut with Atlanta in 2019 and pitched for the Braves for three seasons before pitching in the minors with the Braves and the D-backs last year and then signing with those Angels this offseason and pitching for them this year. Now, in 29 appearances with the Angels this season, Webb threw 31 and two-thirds innings and had a 3.98 ERA with a 5.67 FIP, which is a better predictive measure, so that is a little concerning. He's more of a fly ball pitcher, only a 36% ground ball rate, really a fly ball guy. His 24% strikeout rate this year is the best of his career, but his 14% walk rate this year is very concerning and is by far the worst of his career. Now, it's kind of been a tale of two halves for Webb, who had a 2.49 ERA before the All-Star break, and in 10 innings since the All-Star break, has allowed eight earned runs and walked nine batters in that stretch. That's one of the big reasons why the Angels chose to DFA him. But he has been locked down. 
against right-handed batters all season. Righties are hitting just 181 against Jacob Webb this season, which is really good for the Orioles to pick him up because at least they know, okay, if we put him out there against right-handers, we're going to have a good chance to get somebody out. Now against lefties, you know, righties hitting 181, 27% strikeout rate. Lefties hitting 235, not terrible, but he has walked 24% of the left-handed batters he has faced this season. Now he's faced far less lefties than righties, but 24% of batters walking is an absurd number. That is incredibly high and very, very concerning. Now, what can the O's do here? Because he had a 6.06 ERA in AAA in 2022. That's why he didn't make it to the big leagues last season with either the Braves or the Diamondbacks. He had been better this year with the Angels, and he had been pretty good in the past with Atlanta. Like, had a 4.19 ERA in 34 innings with the Braves in 2021. 2019, his rookie year, he was really good. 32 innings at a 1.39 ERA for Atlanta. He actually pitched in the playoffs with the Braves in 2019, 2020, and 2021. Seven earned runs in four and two-thirds innings with nine strikeouts over those three years. He did not pitch in the World Series at all in 2021 when the Braves won it all. But here's what the O's can do with him. Okay, here's a look at the stuff of Jacob Webb. It's a three-pitch guy. It's fastball, changeup, and sweeper. Now, he used to throw a curveball instead of a sweeper, but he swapped out the curveball and this year has gone to that sweeping slider. Fastball's at 95. It's got good velocity. 197 batting average against it, 30% whiff rate, throws it about 50% of the time. It is a good fastball that Jacob Webb has. Then he's got the changeup. This is the pitch that could be the difference maker. It's at about 86 miles an hour, so a good difference from his 95 fastball. And opponents have hit only 167 against the changeup this year. It's got a 29% whiff rate, throws it about 28% of the time. But he's almost completely went away from his changeup lately. In the month of August, when he's really struggled, which made the Angels DFA him, he threw only eight total changeups in the month of August. When Webb was good earlier this year and when Webb was good in the past with the Braves, that changeup was a pitch that kind of darted down and away from lefties, and it was the pitch he used the second most often, and it was the pitch he used to get lefties out. He would use the fastball and the breaking ball to get righties, and he would use that changeup to get lefties kind of roll over it or pop it up or get the swing and the miss. And since he's gone away from that changeup, he's gotten much, much worse. Lefties have hit him even harder, and the Angels decided to move on. Now, he's also got the sweeper, too, as I mentioned, about an 84-mile-per-hour sweeping slider. Guy's hitting 231 against it, but a 35% whiff rate is really good, and he's thrown it about 22% of the time. So if you're asking, well, why did the O's get this guy if a team like the Angels, which is falling apart right now, DFA'd him? I think it's because he's been good in the past, he's got good stuff, and the O's see how good that changeup can be. If the O's pitching staff has shown one thing, they can teach a guy a good changeup. Webb already has a changeup that's been good in the past. The O's just need to refine it and get that confidence back in him to throw that changeup. Because he can get lefties out if he trusts the changeup. He just doesn't trust it right now. It's very similar to what's happening to Brian Baker. Not at as bad a spot. But Webb is kind of the Baker replacement right now in the bullpen with Baker being sent down to AAA. He's got very similar stuff to Brian Baker, but maybe looks a little better at the moment. And it's a nice little upgrade, it seems like, that the Orioles made. I think they'll tweak the changeup a bit and we'll have him getting some key outs out of the bullpen. Now, how big a role does he play in the pen down the stretch? 
That's a great question I don't know the answer to because you might get Baker back at some point. John Means is going to throw a rehab start in double-A buoy on Thursday. The Orioles announced that's going to be big. He's getting close to getting back. D.L. Hall has looked great in a couple outings in triple-A. Struck out two, throwing 97 in his scoreless inning on Tuesday night. He could be joining this bullpen soon. You know, you got a couple of other guys who are close to coming off the injured list as well. So I don't know how long Jacob Webb could be for this bullpen, but he's going to get a chance right now. Like when he gets activated, I would guess Joey Crable goes back down to AAA. And I got to think, you know, Webb's going to get a chance to earn a spot in this pen down the stretch. But we got one more thing to get to here because. Can't finish off this episode on this day without giving at least a couple of updates on the Kevin Brown situation. So we'll get to that to finish off the pod coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by Sleeper. Do you think, you know, maybe Ryan Mountcastle, who's been red hot, can hit another home run tonight against the Astros? Well, I sure do. And on Sleeper, you can swing for the fences with up to 100 times payouts. All you have to do is choose two or more players that you like and select more or less on their stat categories like homers, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right and you could win big. And also, they've got dynamic payouts on the app. What are dynamic payouts? In short, each player projection now has a multiplier attached to it as opposed to preset multipliers based on the number of legs in a contest. With dynamic payouts also comes more stat categories to place contests on, and you can get higher payouts than other apps with less picks. So use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get a, up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. So the Orioles, well, they fell to the Astros. It's still hard to talk about how that game ended. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable, right? Felix Bautista comes in, three-run lead. You're never expecting him to give up that lead, let alone give the Astros the lead. Walks a guy, gives up a couple of hits, and boom, Kyle Tucker, go-ahead grand slam. Got to give credit to Tucker. That was an amazing at-bat by Kyle Tucker, fouling off tough pitch after tough pitch. And he's an all-star. He's one of the best hitters in our game. It's not like some schmuck hit a grand slam off Felix Bautista. It just hurts. It's a game the Orioles had one, looked like they had it locked up. They go to their guy. And it doesn't happen. And now Felix also with throwing 30 pitches, unfortunately, on Tuesday. And there's nothing you could do about it. I mean, he was trying to get the save. He's not going to be available for tonight's game. But the O's should have pretty much the rest of the bullpen available for the game here on Wednesday night. As they try to even up this series at one game apiece at home against the Astros. I will be in the ballpark tonight. It'll be my 11th game of the season. I am certainly ready to get in on or lead some chance that we'll talk about in a minute. But it is Orioles-Astros game two tonight at 7.05 p.m. start. Christian Javier, the right-hander, will take the mound for the Astros. Javier has not been as good last year as he's been in the past. A 4.39 ERA in about 113 innings this season. His last start against the Yankees also was not great. Four and two-thirds, three runs, four hits, four Ks, and three walks. He's been really struggling with the walks so far this season. And he'll go up against Jack Flaherty, who is making his second start in an Oriole uniform after the O's acquired him from the Cardinals at last week's trade deadline. It will be his Oriole Park debut as well in an O's jersey for Jack Flaherty, who went six strong, allowing just one run against the Blue Jays last week in an O's debut with eight strikeouts in that one. 
would love a repeat performance in that game tonight. And you can listen to every single pitch of the Orioles' hometown radio broadcast, which fortunately won't have Kevin Brown on it, with the SXM app through SiriusXM. Just download the app and search Orioles. And listen, there's a reason. It's a stupid reason, but there's a reason. Kevin Brown will not be on these broadcasts this week. And, you know, if you want to get the full story, make sure and go back and listen to Tuesday's episode of the podcast. Went through this entire Kevin Brown, John Angelo's Orioles saga that all came out on Monday. And more of it came out on Tuesday. Multiple outlets, the Baltimore Sun, the Baltimore Banner, The Athletic, did report Tuesday that Kevin Brown will be back on Friday. This Friday, August 11th, when the Orioles start their West Coast trip They said Brown will be back on the broadcast Friday night in Seattle against the Mariners. And that's great. I love Kevin Brown. He's amazing. I will be happy to see him back on the air. It is going to be very interesting to see how that transpires. And you got to assume he's not really going to say anything about it. No one else will over there at Masson. But as this thing grows, it's going to be real interesting to see him back on the air. And I've said this before. I said it on the pod yesterday. I said it on Twitter. I wouldn't be surprised still if Kevin Brown never calls a game for the Orioles again. Why would he do that? Why would he come back to this boss, this organization that has just treated him like this this week? It's ridiculous. And even if he does finish out this season with the O's on the broadcasts, just no way, whether it's his choice or their choice, that he's coming back next year. So if he does return Friday, I know I'll enjoy it. Please enjoy it, Orioles fans, because he may not be long, unfortunately, at the fault of John Angelos on Orioles broadcasts. Now, the other thing was we had broadcasters across the league in both Friday night's games on the air, excuse me, in both Monday night's games on the air and Tuesday night's games on the air, just crushing John Angelos for this decision. Backing up Kevin Brown, everybody across the board, Gary Cohen of the Mets, Jason Benetti of the White Sox, some of the big ones. The Astros broadcast did a great job talking about it in tonight's game. The national TBS broadcast, the game on Tuesday night was on national TV. They did a great job talking about it. And shout out to the fans. I mean, fans rallying behind Kevin Brown, everybody on Twitter, you know, changing their profile picture to Kevin Brown and the chants at the stadium. They were loud and they were proud. I was listening on the radio as the chants came in, in the seventh inning. Free Kevin Brown, free Kevin Brown. Just awesome stuff. Awesome stuff from the fans. Now we heard some rumblings that people were told to, you know, put down their signs and stop chanting. Yeah, I'm sure that directive came from little... Toddler, John Angelos. But Orioles fans banded together. And this wasn't like a couple of people starting to chant. Ha ha, you know, we've had a few beers to start a chant. It was loud. Go look at Andy Koska's video on Twitter. Andy, who covers the team for the Baltimore Banner, done a great job covering this story. Go look at his video on Twitter that he posted during the game Tuesday night. Those chants were loud. And most of the lower bowl was into it. You could hear it on the TV broadcast. You could hear it on the radio broadcast. You could hear it everywhere. And the Astros broadcasters did a great job, as did the TBS broadcasters, of hearing it, laying out, letting it fill up the time, letting it fill up the audio, and then addressing it perfectly. Of course, Masson and the Oros Radio Network did none of that, as is to be expected. It's just, I don't understand it. It makes no sense. I know John Angelos is an idiot. He's one of the dumbest people alive. But can he really be this dumb to not think something exactly like this would be the fallout of his stupid, idiotic, temper tantrum decisions? I just, it's like, did he not think this was going to happen? Does anything go through his brain? And I get that it's not 
just John Angelos. It's his henchmen, too. It's Greg Bader. It's Jennifer Grandal. It's Cal Perry. It's all of them. It's higher-ups at Masson, executives there at Well. They're all helping out John. They don't want to make John mad. They're going to do his dirty work for him with no shame whatsoever, apparently. And, you know, I said this on Twitter as well, just to kind of cap this off. Like, I hope Kevin Brown's back. I hope we can hear him call some amazing Orioles moments down the stretch. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone for good after this season. But I will say, the one thing, and I said it on the Locked on Orioles Twitter account on Tuesday. This is a terrible situation, right? All messed up. Terrible job by Angelos. Terrible job by Orioles PR. Just fumbled the entire thing. But if one good thing could come out of this, and it may, and it's already started to a little bit, and, and keep your eye out for this. And I did a little bit of it on the podcast yesterday, if you want to go back and listen. As national media, right, picks up on what a terrible owner, what an idiot John Angelos is, more people are going to be looking into the Orioles and looking into Masson, thinking, how can somebody make a decision this dumb? And as more people from the outside look into it, and more people around Baltimore who know some things but didn't feel comfortable reporting some things will maybe feel a little more comfortable diving into those things about the awful workplace culture that's been cultivated by Angelos and his henchmen, not just with the Orioles, but at Masson. And I'm not just talking about in the front office. I'm talking about all the departments that bring together Baltimore Orioles baseball and everything surrounding it. And Masson might be even worse in those terms. I hope that if one good thing's come out of this, it's that those things get exposed. And maybe, just maybe, we could send John Angelo straight back to Nashville and have somebody new in charge of this franchise. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, thank you all for the mailbag questions. We will get to them later this week. Got a couple of episodes left. We'll also get to the giveaway that we'll be doing now that we've hit 4,000 subscribers on YouTube. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. Back tomorrow, recapping game two between the O's and the Astros. Any more Kevin Brown developments? And we'll get to some of your great kind of September roster-related mailbag questions on tomorrow's episode. I'll be at the game tonight, and I'll be at the game tomorrow. So either game, you're there. Want to come say hi. Want to come chat about how much we hate John Angelos. Want to come start some chants. Be my guest. I'll be down in Section 62 on Wednesday night, and I'll kind of be up you know, in the upper deck behind home plate on Thursday afternoon. Definitely come say hi. Uh, we can scheme a little bit there. But again, I'll be back here on the podcast tomorrow with another episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb. And this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.